Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I want us to look once again at the Lord's Prayer. Because we need to be, we all need to be, praying more and more. We need to be a praying body. And we need to hear what our Lord is teaching us, what Messiah is instructing us with, with respect to prayer. So let's turn in Matthew chapter 6. Let's begin at verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have, their, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So these are some very powerful words of instruction and warning to some degree. But I think what Messiah is doing here is not merely giving us a model for prayer. Certainly there is a model for prayer given to us. But I don't really think that is at the heart of what's going on here in Matthew chapter 6. 
What Messiah is really instructing us about is how to cultivate a genuine relationship with God. The issue here is not merely what we ought to pray about or in what order we ought to pray about these things or what themes ought to be on our minds when we pray, or although they are contained in the prayer. I think Messiah has something more important that he wants to convey to us. And that is the idea of having a relationship with him. The idea of what our relationship with God is like. And so there are a couple of phrases here I want to point out. Take a look, for example, in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, if you do, that is, if you do your good deeds before men to be seen by them, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. If you look at verse 2, he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. If you look at verse 4, he says, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then if you look, I believe it's in verse 6, he says, but, have, uh, but when you pray, go into your room, or in verse, verse 5, he says, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In verse 6, he says, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's this focus of rewards that sort of introduces this section on prayer. And so the question is, how do we view God? How do we look at our Lord? And on what basis do we think about being rewarded by God? And so I think there are two ways that individuals look at others, or two ways that individuals look at God. We look at God as sort of like our employer sort of like our boss, that when we do good things, he will reward us. And if we don't do good things, he will withhold his rewards or his blessings. Now, there's some truth to that. Certainly, we are expected to live in light of his commands. We're expected to follow him. And we are told that if we do, we will be blessed by him. But that is not what Messiah is focusing on here. What Messiah is focusing on here is that our relationship with God is a relationship based on his gracious, loving kindness. This is a relationship that's based on God reaching down to us and saving us. God reaching down to us and making himself known unto us. When we go for a job, and there are many of us that are looking for work, and I remember when I was... Uh, back in Maryland, and I had come to this young church, this fledgling church, this struggling church. And financially, that church was not able to really support me fully. And when I had enrolled, when we had visited that area, and we looked at a school that we would like to send our son to, I thought, well, maybe one way that I might be able to uh, sort of gain additional employment was perhaps teaching at the school. I submitted a resume. It was on file, and it's very interesting how that job came to be. But the point I'm making is when I applied, I put on file my resume and I listed all the qualities that I could bring to this school. I sort of ignored all the problems I might bring to the school, but they would soon learn those if they took a a chance with me. And there were some 
some problems. I remember, I'll tell you this one problem, it's kind of a funny problem, but when I first started teaching, I was teaching middle schoolers. And whenever I've met teachers, and I would say, hey, I was a teacher too, and they would say, hey, so what did you teach? I I said, I taught middle school for a couple of years. I said, oh my, oh, you poor thing, you know. But when I walked into that class, you know, I just tried to enjoy the time and have fun with them and I sort of identified with the craziness pretty, pretty easily, actually. But over the course of the class, I began to realize that if I said to the class, it was one of the problems I created, that if I said to the class, look, this is what we need to get done today, and if we get this done, we'll go out onto the playground and we'll just enjoy ourselves. And so the kids, they sort of responded well to that. And so we would get all our stuff done and... We'd have 15 minutes sometimes, 20 minutes sometimes. Sometimes just because we had gone through some good things or because the test grades were high, I said, you know, we're not going to have class today. Let's go out onto the playground. And then I remember at one of the teacher meetings that we'd have once a week, they'd say, Gary, you know, the students are coming into my math class or they're coming into my literature class or my science class. And they're saying, you know, Mr. D lets us get out early when we finish the stuff. And they said, you know, that's making it harder for us, you know, because of what you're doing. Well, I had to compromise a little bit, but not a whole lot, you know. (laughs) But it was one of those kind of issues, you know, that you have to work through. But when you send out your resume, you put down all the things that you could bring to the table. And what what are we saying? We're sort of selling ourselves. And we're telling people that we're really valuable to you and we can be of a help to you. Sometimes we look at God that way. We look at God by presenting before him all the gifts that we have, all the abilities, all the talents, all these things. And we present them before God and then we expect God to reward us because we have such, so much to give him. What Yeshua is telling us is that our attitude toward God here ought to be very different. That we ought not to be like those who pray on the street corners to see by men and expect that as a result of their outwardness of worship and praise that God will look upon them with joy and say, well, I have to reward that one because look how faithful, look how open, look how outward he is in his faith or her faith. But what he says is rather that when we give, and I love this phrase, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. The idea is don't be self-congratulating, you know. Don't be prideful about what we have accomplished or what we're able to do, but rather realize this is the result of the grace of God. And so when we have the idea of God's grace, that changes the way we live, but it also changes the way we pray. Because generally, the way we pray is to ask God for things. And Yeshua tells us we can ask for things. But the heart and soul of the prayer is at the front end of this prayer. Notice what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That takes up most of the Lord's prayer. In other words, the focus of prayer ought to be on cultivating relationship with God. That prayer is not only about or merely about asking for things, whether for ourselves or for others, but it's really a way to get to know God better. It's really supposed to be a way in which we gain God's perspective on reality and on life. And so when he starts out this prayer, 
He's saying, look, go into your room, go into your closet, be alone, don't have any distractions. The idea is it's, it's you and God that is to be developing a relationship. It's you and God that is to be growing together as our heavenly, our heavenly Father. So now look at this prayer. The first thing that we are to do, how do we cultivate this relationship? How do we get to know God better? And he says, the first thing we should do is we should adore God. And this is the opening phrase. He says, our Father in heaven. The first thing is how we think of God. Do we think of him as our Father? Do we think of him as our boss? God is creator. And as such, we are responsible to him. We are his creation. God is our king. Therefore, we are under his rulership. But I think when we think of God as father, someone has said that those aspects of God's relationship to us are, in his phrase, are gentilized. That kind of relationship is made smooth, in other words. That we are the creations of God, but now we get an opportunity to have this relationship with him where we think of him as our father. God is indeed our king. As a king, he rules over us. But now we get a chance to look at him as our heavenly father who loves us, who cares for us, and doesn't merely or only rule over us, but is a God that comes alongside of us and embraces us and encourages us. And so we're to call God and we're to relate to him as our heavenly father who will take care of us. Of all of our needs. When we think of him as our father. Of course there are other ways we can think of God. We can think of him as El Shaddai. The almighty. We can think of him as Elohim. The creator God. But what Messiah is inviting us to look at him as. And to develop a connection with. Is that he's our father. And as our father we can come before him. And he will help us. He will support us. He will shepherd us. And he will guide us. This has been something that I've been focusing on praying about. And sort of just meditating about in my times. Because as you know, we're going through some real hard transitions here at Beth Ariel. It doesn't always seem it. You know, our service this morning, we're all here, we're gathered. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scene that not all of us are privy to. As we try to find a new location, as we try to think about how we're going to make this transition, how are we going to make the move? There's so much stuff as we walk through. Edward is walking through the different rooms, and there's all kinds of equipment. Where are we putting all this stuff? And when it comes time for our service, how are we going to set it up, and how are we going to take it down? When it comes time to, for our finances, how are we going to be financially? This is like a real scary moment. For many of us who are sort of involved in it, you know, almost all the time and meeting. We just had a meeting fr- last night, you know, talking about this move. And we can't stay here much longer. In fact, we want to be moved out by the beginning of February. So things are sort of crunching in on us. And the pressure seems to mount. You know, when I was 20, there was a lot of pressure in the ministry I was in, but I was a whole lot younger. And now I feel like I'm aging really quick. 
I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know. And so when I came to these passages, because I want to just hang here for a moment on this Lord's Prayer. I said, Lord, you're my father, man, and I need you so badly. Just to pick up a lot of this stuff and to move us along. I've been reading in my devotions, I've been reading through Proverbs and Psalms, the wisdom literature. And just asking God for his wisdom, you know, as we're instructed to do. So this has been a challenging time, but I keep looking at God. He is our father. He is my father. And so he'll lead us in the right way. And he'll lead us in the way of righteousness. One of the things that we are to pray as we think of God as our father, we talk about, it says, hallowed be thy name. The word here, hallow, is the word for holy. It means God's character, his nature, who he is, is to be separate from all other people, all, all other gods. Hallowed is your name, separate from all other gods and goddesses that the ancients had worshipped. He is unique and stands alone and apart from all others and everything. Everything that exists was made by him. He stands apart from it. But then he goes on, and this is what I, I wanted to get to, is where he, pray, he has us pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. Now, of course, whenever he speaks of the kingdom, we're talking the messianic age, that the Lord would come and that he would set up his throne on earth and reign as king. But in the meantime, we pray that the will of God would be accomplished. And that's kind of tricky to me. I'm trying to figure out what God's will is in all of these things, but he very rarely tells me what his will is before his will unfolds. You know, I sort of sense things, surmise things, but he never like writes it out for me and says, this is what I want you to do, go and do that. You know, I try to use human reasoning. I try to listen to other people and we try to make a decision and then we trust God for it. When we look back, we pray, this is the will of God. But it's hard to decipher. And yet the scripture tells us in Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good to those who are called of the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And when I think of God leading the way and making his will known and considering the place that I am at presently, it's the story of Joseph that comes to my mind. And I made reference to it before because Joseph, when he was a young boy, 17-ish or even younger, and God gave him these dreams, and the dreams involved his brothers bowing down to him. You remember the sheaves that bowed down to his sheaves. And then he had a dream that the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down to him. And his brothers understood exactly what he was dreaming, what he saw, that his, their mother and father and the 11 brothers would bow down to him. Their thought was, oh, how arrogant this young man must be to think that that is what God is going to do. And as his life unfolded, we find that, Jay, and there's a lot of mistakes, I think, that went on in the family. But my point is that God superintends over them and his will does occur. So his father, in honor of Joseph, his oldest son by his favorite wife, Rachel, wants him to stand out apart from the other sons. Probably not a very wise thing to do. 
It was his favorite son. Probably not a good thing to have favorites in one's family. But Jacob did. And he set him apart with this unique coat. You know, archaeologists have found paintings of, I think there are hieroglyphics that were in Egypt. Of some of those from the east that came and visited Egypt. And there were these multicolored robes that were uh, drawn onto, not the pyramids, but onto some of the walls that, that were there. And so some have seen that this is very much what we see in the book of Genesis. But he gave him this unique coat that set him apart. And then his father tells him, look, I want you to go and tell your brothers who are supposed to be over in one area about their need to come home or whatever. But he says, I want you to go meet them. And when he goes to where his brothers are supposed to be, they're not there. That shows already sort of the rebellious attitude of the brothers. But he finds a stranger and the stranger tells him, no, your brothers, I think we're in Shechem or further up from where Joseph had went. And he found his brothers. And when his brothers saw him coming, they said, you know, let's take care of this dreamer. And they said that they would, first of all, let's kill him. But Reuven said that he didn't want, you know, we shouldn't kill our brother. But rather, let's put him in this cistern. And then later, Reuven was planning on going and taking Reuven out from it and rescuing him. But when he came back, his other brothers had already sold Joseph into slavery by this Ishmaelite or Midianite group that had come through. And eventually, Joseph would be sold into slavery to the Egyptians. Eventually, he'd be in a house owned by Potiphar. And eventually, he'd be thrown into prison. And one surveys those events, and you wonder, what was going on in Joseph's mind? Though God did tell him what what was going to happen in his life, he must have questioned, how is this possible given what is going on? And yet that was, those were the steps God was taking to bring him to that place of elevation where he would be bowed down to by his brothers, by his father. And he would be honored and elevated to be second to Pharaoh. Romans 8.28 says all things work together for good. Joseph himself said, you meant these things for evil, but God meant them for good. And so when we pray, thy will be done, we never know what the path will be for the will of God to come to fruition. One pastor has said, you know, that when we come to faith, and I remember years ago when I was a young believer and hearing some people teaching and then myself even conveying the same idea, and that is that if you think life is hard, As an unbeliever, wait to give your life to the Lord because then things get really tough. And the reason is, and this is what this pastor was saying, the reason is, is because now we have to obey things that God's word teaches us even though we don't like them. You know, scripture says, wives submit to your husband. We don't like that. But somehow we have to learn what that means. Husbands, love your wives. No matter what the challenges and what, you know, is going on. But we may not, on the surface, like some of the things the scripture says. Here it says to forgive one another. Sometimes we don't like having to forgive. 
And so life gets harder because, first of all, there are commandments in Scripture that we may not like, that we now feel compelled we need to obey. And the other thing that happens is that circumstances come into our lives that we don't understand. And as those circumstances come to fruition and we don't understand them, it makes life really hard. So when we pray, thy will be done, we're praying that, Lord, that we would cultivate a living and dynamic relationship with God. That we would get God's perspective on what's happening or attempt to. So that as we are led, as we move forward, it is his will that's accomplished in, his, in our lives. Sometimes cooperatively as we rejoice in where God is leading. Sometimes enduringly like Joseph, not knowing what was going on, but had to wait till the story unfolded a little longer. But the purpose of prayer then is that we get closer to God. Not just to have our needs met, but that our relationship would be deepened with him and trust would emerge more and more. Let's pray. And while I'm praying, if the ushers would come forward. Father in heaven, we are a people that are in need of your mercy and grace. We are people, Father, who falter and fall. We are people, Lord, who sin and make mistakes. We are people, Lord, who are in need of you as Father, as well as King and Creator. And so, Lord, as Messiah taught us to pray, we would first of all want to be ones who adore you, who acknowledge your majestic nature, your grace, and your goodness. Lord, you are our Father, so help us to trust you. And help us, Lord, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as the challenges mount, as the fears mount, as the disappointments occur, Lord, might you undergird us. And might you, as we sang, lift us up. And not allow the grave to overwhelm us. So, Father, we come before you as ones who are in need of you. And we know that you are unique in all of reality. Hallowed be your name. We pray that your kingdom would indeed come. For when it comes, the challenges of our present life will dissipate. The king will be on his throne. We will see him face to face. And we will be relieved of the struggles and trials that we face. And so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. And we pray that your will would be done in our lives. Help us, Lord, in submission to its unfolding in our lives. Lead us by the hand. Guide us as the good shepherd. And might you make a way for us. And Lord, we pray that you will be honored and glorified because of all that you are doing, have done, and what will come to bear. So we just bring this all before you, Lord. 
Even in these moments, we lift up to you those things that are on our hearts. And we pray, Father, that you might make the difference for us. We pray, Father, for our children, the struggles that may be there in some families. We pray, Lord, for help and strength to meet the challenges of our lives. We pray, Father, for marriages, for healings where there is strain. And we pray, Father, for love to be full. We pray, Lord, where there is physical needs and healing, we pray that you would bestow that upon us. Father, where there is need for economic relief, might you provide us with our daily needs as we have them moment by moment. And so, Father, we pray that you would be our strength. You would be our portion. You would be our shield. You would be our shepherd. And so, Father, we love you and we adore you and we pray. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.